0: Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everyone, it's Jodi Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I am so grateful that you tuned in. This week's episode features Jane Larkworthy. She's a beauty writer with The Cut and also a brand consultant and a super fascinating woman. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Amy Schechter. She is the CEO of Glam Squad. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be sitting with Jane Larkworthy. She's the beauty editor at large, The Cut, and also a brand consultant. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, um, I want to start off with a topic that we didn't get to chat about on the phone when we got to know each other. Um, Bagel Shiksa?
1: Shiksa Bagel.
0: Shiksa Bagel. Or
1: Shiksa Bagels, I think is what the handle is. Yeah.
0: Tell me what this is all about.
1: Um, Well, I am a Shiksa and I love bagels. Uh, But it's not as thought out as that. Uh, I was making bread one weekend, and I'm a horrible bread maker, but I like to try. And I had leftover dough, and I woke up the next morning, looked at my leftover dough, and thought, what if I boiled this and turned it into a circle and put a hole in it? Would it taste at all like a bagel? And it did. And so I started putting it on Instagram, (laughs) and people asked for them. So I would deliver them to friends, and that was a big fail because it's... It's really not a monetizing effort to spend your morning delivering bagels to your friends. So they'll come to me. Nevertheless, the handle was free. You know, surprise, surprise. And a friend of mine bought the name for 25 bucks, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then another friend sent me about 100 um, uh, thermal bags. You know, they're lined with, you know, keep things hot, essentially. Like what the pizza delivery people use? I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it with Schicks Bagels written on the outside. Oh, I know. It was a really nice gift. And so I don't think I'm very good at it. I think people get a kick out of it. I think once I get through the hundred bags or even 50 bags, I'll be done. But that's sort of a, a side hack that is not going to make me rich.
0: So um for our listeners who don't speak Yiddish can you tell us what a shiksa is? A shiksa
1: is I believe a non-Jew.
0: Right. It's um when you google it it's actually written as a derogatory word for non-Jew.
1: But I okay I didn't think it was. Are you Jewish?
0: Yes, but Do I think, you it think upon- it's pejorative. Um I- yeah, I I yeah, I know people who use it in the way that like it's not okay that she's a shiksa. You know that okay? Like okay. he's dating a shiksa. This is you know a that comes
1: thing. with opinions.
0: Yes, right. Yes. There's a lot of judgment attached to it.
1: Is it is goy better?
0: Uh, no, I think that they're it's, both it's the same people <laughs> doing the same thing.
1: But I think it's kind of like if I'm calling myself.
0: Of course. It's a bagel. okay. <laughs> you can it's call okay. yourself whatever you want. Um, but I, want, I wanted our listeners to understand that there's, um, you know, they don't need to start calling their friends this unless they want to be called this. Call your
1: friends a bagel. Don't call them a shiksa. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I love this.
0: Though. There's another <laughs> handle that you have that's outside your oh, other handle.
1: which is the fraudulent chef. Okay, so, and that is kind of where the bagels were begat from, if that's correct grammar. Um, so, I started a blog a couple of years ago. I believe I have maybe seven followers now, um, called The Fraudulent Chef, which is basically about my, our, my husband and my gastronomic attempts at our house in the Berkshires. We have a big kitchen. We, you know, we're in a in our apartment in New York City. It's tiny. So we, in the big kitchen up in the Berkshires, we kind of go crazy, and I document our escapades.
0: And you love it. You love to cook.
1: Love to cook. I think I'm, but I do think I'm a fraud. So, you know, I have all these, I have so many foodie friends who, one of my best friends is the editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine, and she owns restaurants, and I just have a lot of friends in the food world, and there's something about it with a lot of them that is very precious about food. And my husband and I are like, just chop up some garlic, get some good olive oil, and you're done. And so we just kind of fake it, and our friends like to come to dinner, so...
0: And um, isn't it about who you're with and not what you're eating?
1: I think it's both. Uh, We've definitely had some guests who've never been invited back.
0: Uh
1: Oh, yeah. There's a lot of politics to a dinner party. It's fascinating. Um, A very popular one is the couple, one of whom you love. The other one, you're like, ah. And I think any person I tell that to, we all relate with that. It's just, you know, it's just kind of funny. Um, And if the food's a fail, then I'll be the first one to say, like, oh, guys, sorry. We tried. I guess we're not gonna make flan again or whatever.
0: I um, was breaking up with a girlfriend um, many years ago. I went in my 20s where I was like not a good friend to anybody, and she wasn't a good friend either. And we were breaking up. She borrowed my shoes and never gave them back. You know, mm-hmm. of these right, right, right. Um, and she's like, Well, that's fine. Your lemon chicken wasn't good anyway. And I was like, Oh my God. That's
1: hysterical. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's when I'm like, I'm not a restaurant. Right.
1: Right. But she was like, I'll hurt her she that way. She held on
0: to this. I mean, that dinner was like months or even years yeah. before the breakup of our friendship. And this is what she threw <laughs> at me. And I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> it runs deep. It does.
1: it does. Food, food like beauty. I can't believe I'm about to compare them. But, I, you know, it's a it's such an emotion that is connected to it. So, you equate a lot of feelings with food,
0: yes. Um well, thank you for sharing th- these notes about your other Instagram handles. oh, because thank
1: you for asking.
0: i um I love getting to see um, different signs of people through, sure. yep. Um Gina Way, who's been a guest on the show, is just like amazing bring her up. amazing. I'm like in love with her Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I adore yeah. her also. Yeah. but um I like, get this little window into her humor and soul, right. right.
1: Although someone else has been doing thirty days long before Gina Way has. But, you
0: know, whatever? Whatever, Hygiena.
1: <laughs> she better be laughing or yelling at me right now. One of the two. She's a very good friend.
0: Well, she's um, <laughs> getting advantage of all of the SEO and us talking about her name when we put the transcriptions of this episode on our website. So she'll, if she Googles herself, she'll find this. Oh, okay. Um, so let's... There goes one friendship. <laughs> so my, one of my favorite questions to ask on this show is completely mundane, which is how, do you, how will you spend your time today?
1: Oh, that's a great one. Um, fighting jet lag because I was just in Mexico, which isn't—it's only an hour difference—but boy, I could not fall asleep last night, and I am struggling today. Um, fighting jet lag, staying out of the rain, meeting a few deadlines at the cut, and probably going to see one of my clients, and waiting until I can get home and go back to bed.
0: And um, when you do your work for The Cut, are you always working from home
1: or do you have to go to an- It's kind of 50-50. They very nicely um, found an office for me, uh, which is a euphemism for closet. But it makes me very happy because The Cut is, for the most part, um, cubicles under fluorescent lights and Jane does not do overhead lighting. And so in this little closet, I am so cozy and there are these little desk lamps and I it's not great for like meeting everyone else because I kind of hide in this little closet. But the way I'm working it out right now is two to three days a week, and then I also I love working from home.
0: And um, this idea of freelancing, this is pretty new for you in your life. Yes. Did you ever envision yourself
1: as a freelancer? No, I never thought I. I never thought I could succeed at it because I always, I always looked at work like school, like it was the law. It was something you had to do. If you didn't do it the truant officer would come find you. And, um, you know, I got a job right out of college. And, but also I always thought that I was, um, I am preternaturally lazy. I just am. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to hustle. I'm not going to be able to like, you know, reach out to people and be like, I've got a great story idea. And I feel extremely fortunate because knock wood, that hasn't happened yet. And um, I love having my plate full of about 10 different things all the time. And I love uh, being asked to do a project, whether or not I like it or hate it, it's something I can cross off my list and be like, wow, I never want to write about, you know, purses again, but boy, I really like monitoring panels. So it's just, you know, it's about reinvention and you learn about a lot about yourself. I know this is a very long answer, but the hardest part for me, and I think you and I discussed this, was um, when I first went freelance, not having an office to go to because my fear of freelance, along with not being able to hustle, was not having the interpersonal communication with a staff, many of whom, you know, become your closest friends. And so that was one of the biggest hurdles for me, but I I figured it out. I joined the wing. (laughs) I joined a couple libraries, you know. Rode my bike a lot, and now I can't imagine going back full
0: time. <laughs> so you described work as school, like you you're you're expected <clears throat> to be there, and these are the hours. Oh yeah. Um, so that type of mindset is always very challenging for me. I never understood. I had a boss whose dad was a school principal, and just, that's how she felt about work. You get to work, you get there on time. You don't get there not on time, and you stay until you stay. And you don't leave earlier than you stay. Like, yep. And she really believed that, and I was so challenged by hierarchy that I didn't understand her. Um, well, how old were you when you had this boss? Because I think... Like or 29, you old... 20, Okay.
1: I wonder if it would have affected you differently if it was your first job. And then you, from no, there. No,
0: I mean, my, I, was, I was a jerk at my first job because of the hierarchy. Okay, okay. Sexo. Yeah, that's sort of my story. But I never understood the way that people um, appreciate the rhythm of work until I met her. Because she just, like, she didn't question it. She didn't need to question it. There was no question in her head about it. Um, and I really watched her as a curiosity because <laughs> I didn't understand um, so it's interesting that you talked about it at school, because I feel like for her, it was the same, right? Her dad's a principal, you go to school. I
1: feel like, and this is a really broad statement, but don't you feel like the, um, the climate of the office obviously starts at the top? And that influences, uh, you know, if, if you have a boss who, who um, breeds competition, <clears throat> excuse me, versus a boss who says, you know what, go figure it out. If you fail, it's okay, but do it again because I know you can do it. And I had I didn't have a boss, but she was sort of a manager, so I guess I reported to her um, years ago who whose desk was was right in line with the elevator banks. And so you'd get out and you'd see that she took <laughs> mental tabs of who, you know, arrived late, arrived early, left early, and it was and it stayed with me. And I'm not going to say who this person is, but I still have her on my shoulder. Even, even when I'm, when I'm doing a freelance project, because way back when at Condi, you know, you couldn't freelance if you were a beauty editor. Like you couldn't, if you, if you wrote press releases for a company, it was clandestine. You did not share that. And now it's like, do what you want, you know? And, but I still have her on my shoulder being like, uh, uh, I, I, did you run this by your boss? Are you sure you can do this? And I was just like, oh my God, get away, get off my shoulder. How can you get her off? by saying to myself what I said to you. And, by all, and also sharing it with other people. Like, you know, suddenly I'm at the age where I'm a mentor and so I give, I do out advice and I say things like that. And the more you say, it, it's like learning a vocabulary word. The more you say it out loud, the more you believe it.
0: A friend once told me, cause I would struggle with things like that too, like old stuff. And she'd say, tell yourself that was then, this is now. Oh, I like that. Right. So that was then. That was the reality, right? So I had to endure X, Y, and Z for whatever reason. These are old feelings. It's not my now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to like write it on the refrigerator. I have to, you know, do a lot of work to remember this. But it helps me. It like comforts me when I'm having these old feelings creep up. That's
1: a good one. So um, can we also point out that when you and I spoke on the phone, it was like a therapy session. (laughs) She asked me all these questions, <clears throat> excuse me, and just, it was very introspective and it really, you really made me think about myself. It was, uh, I got off the phone like, wow, I think I just saved like 500 bucks. <laughs> anyway, I just, just had uh, to tell you Well,
0: that. I hope that I wasn't overstepping. No, no, it was, it was lovely. Uh, I want to talk about you know, your career journey because it's so interesting and it sounds like it starts with a great temp job. Um, and temping has been very good to me in my early years. I um, worked at a manhole cover factory as a temp. I worked at a gum manufacturer as a wow. temp. Yeah, I had good temp jobs, and as a real, I was a really good temp because, like, back this is twenty five years ago. Why were you a really good temp? Um, I would be. I would want to plow through these tasks, right? These tasks uh-huh. that have been sitting around this office for six months, no one right. got to them. I was there for the week. I was gonna boom, 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 boom. Done. And because I needed to get it off my list, you know, it felt really good. And to be productive, I guess I was tempting because I wasn't productive. Right. I needed to find irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't have the job that I wanted or I was in between um, semesters at school or whatever it was. Um, So being productive and efficient and effective was really exciting for me. And was praise involved? No. um, As a temp, I don't think like you're. I was never part of the culture, right? Which actually helped me quite a bit because I wasn't good with
1: hierarchy, right? Right. But it probably also gave you a good report card back uh, with the temp agency. um, Yeah,
0: but you know, like the the bar was really low, right? (laughs) They just wanted someone to answer the phone. That I was not good at, like answering the phone and um, uh, what is it called when you like transfer it. I mean, that was awful at that, but, like, give me that messy file cabinet room that needs to organize right. press clippings for right. the next past 10 years. I was so good at that. Right. Um, so I was able to not have the hierarchy impact me. I was not part of their politics. I right. was actually getting paid quite well. Right. Um, So, yeah, it was a really good temp. So tell us about your temping <laughs> journey. Um, It was similar. I worked at such –
1: to backtrack for a minute – So my my sister had worked at GQ for a number of years, and I don't think she was there by the time I graduated college, but she said, all of our, you know, you're a great typist, all of our attempts at Condi come from Career Blazers, go to Career Blazers, just shifting here. So I went to Career Blazers and they sent me on these random jobs, not as interesting as a manhole cover, but you know, banks and organizations where I really was basically the receptionist. And that was the summer before my senior year of college. I became friends with everyone at the temp agency. They were a nice bunch. I go back to college. Christmas break, I come back to the temp agency. I'm like, hey, I want to make a couple hundred bucks. I got two weeks. Where do you want to send me? And they send me to Glamour Magazine's beauty department. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, But I did not follow up with a thank you letter. I didn't think I would get the job. I was kind of insecure about it because I had never done any, you know, official internships. But while I was there, it was great. And like the beauty closet was this Nirvana. And I stole, I think, an eye pencil and a shampoo and a shower caddy and a press release from Ralph Lauren fragrances for the fragrance Lauren and it was like this preppy plaid hardcover press release cover and I literally like stuck it in my bag because it was theft um so the world of beauty was never something I was really that interested in but Conde Nast wow shiny chic and beautiful you know was that alluring to you it was very alluring to me it was it was a perfect world to this girl from Long Island who was pretty um, unfocused and not really sure what she wanted to do and didn't really have the confidence to think that she could get a job at such a, you know, fancy place. But I, the way I, 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 made, I got in through the back door, which I advise a lot of people to do because not everyone knows someone at a company. And, yeah, my my sister had worked there, but she hadn't been there for years. Right.
0: So uh, when you were in high school, did you have, or college, did you have the dream of being, working at a place like this?
1: No, I wanted to be on Broadway. (laughs) I was a voice major, I studied music, I got to Ithaca, and it was the classic, you know, small fish, big pond kind of syndrome. And not to get too personal, but my mother died at the end of my senior year. And so in retrospect, I was a mess without really realizing it. And because I just didn't want to deal with the fact that my mother died, it was like, I'm going to college and I'm going to be on Broadway. Your senior year of high school, she goes? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, the day before the prom. And, but I, I didn't want to deal with the mess or the depression. So I turned my life kind of into a made for TV movie. I became close with my father with whom I was never close. And sorta of became a de facto wife like you know I helped organize his house I, I didn't live at home anymore but we d- we had we developed a, a a closeness a friendship that I'd never had with him which was fraught with his own things because we had no foundation for it really um wow where was I going with this oh so um Yeah, so I studied music. I quickly failed out. I switched to English and writing. You failed the music program? Yeah. I mean, got an F and they said leave? They said this is not working and you can stay, but you can't stay in the music department. And by then I realized I was not going to make it as a professional. But I always did like to write. I was always interested in it. So I kind of like switched to English classes and then started taking some writing courses. And then my grades got better and better and better. And I kind of
0: found my people. But Can we go back to this conversation where the professor says to you, leave the program? Um, was it hard to hear that?
1: I honestly can't remember. I do remember the dean calling me in and saying, your grades are not making it here. Other than that, I really... I honestly can't remember what the conversation was. I do remember telling him, like I told everyone that my mother had just died mm-hmm. to elicit sympathy and to to elicit interest. I mean I think it was almost like a dare I call it a pickup line at a bar, which is like a horrible thing to say, but it was like, you know, pity me, wounded bird syndrome, whatever <laughs> um, I'm digressing way too much but yeah i kind of wanted out of there anyway i didn't like the music school to me was almost what i imagined sort of this is ridiculous but like medical school like i'd never studied music theory i'd never studied um all of the uh science and math frankly of music Mm -hmm. i just sang i couldn't read music I'd, i'd hear it i had a really good ear and i could sing it you know after two times hearing it but being in a classroom of students who were Focused and diligent, and already knew music theory. Like, I didn't have a leg to stand on. So, there you go.
0: Um, I was asking because I was curious as to it why did. that conversation doesn't sit on your shoulder the way that this woman at the, the desk, right? But maybe you just didn't. Oh, it Yeah, in that maybe you just, you, you knew. Or you I didn't. knew.
1: I knew, and I have no bad feelings about it whatsoever.
0: Um, can I ask
1: back to this personal topic? Did you go to prom? I did. I did. And again, like made for TV movie. And you know what? No, screw that. My mother would have wanted me to. Right,
0: right. Of course she would have. I had a
1: boyfriend for the first time in my life and he was a great guy. I did it for mom. Mm -hmm. And then the funeral was a couple days later up at her mother's in upstate New York, so.
0: That's so tough. Yeah. And your sister was out of the house at this time.
1: And brother, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can fast forward um you got the job well you had the temp job and
1: i had the temp job. job i had two weeks more experience than anyone else did so i got a job as the assistant at glamour magazine's beauty department
0: and did you know what that would mean like what no was? idea uh-huh not pretty awesome that you got this coveted job and actually didn't even know
1: well i no, let me No, i sort of i mean i knew it would be answering the phones uh-huh. and filing oh okay and cleaning the beauty closet um Two of which I was very good at, beauty closet filing and cleaning. I was terrible at. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then I got a talking to one day, and then I stayed till midnight and cleaned everyone's offices and showed them. Yeah, I'm a little vindictive if I'm criticized. Oh, really?
0: <laughs> Does it feel like a personal attack?
1: Yeah, I take. I don't take criticism well at all. I'm. I'm not great with edits to this day. Um, not that I think all of my work is the shit. Not that I think I'm great at everything. But I think I think a lot of writers are this way. I think criticism is a little like, "Huh, you don't like that headline? Wow, I really? I thought that was a great headline. You know, that kind of thing."
0: Um, I understand that through the um, eyes of my daughter, who's eight. When she gets, she does a lot right all the time, so that criticism really comes right infrequently. And when it's like you put your pillows or dolls in the wrong place like she she does not like it she she cries she feels so wounded well how do you take it i mean do do are there people who are like oh okay great thanks really um i think some people i've learned to roll things off my back more like um think about is this really personal no right sometimes it's not really personal at all. yeah and it's not
1: really important
0: right um it used to hurt me a lot i've i've worked really hard to build my muscles up.
1: Yeah.
0: To realize that most of the stuff is not personal. Yeah. Um, there's very few people in the business world who really are looking to attack me personally. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. That's what I always say to myself. It's like, it's not It's not you. Right. It's not you.
0: Um, so the, the work they don't like or this they don't like or whatever, they're feeling wounded right. that day for whatever reason they said something. But um, it's really only my family who's going to criticize me personally. The people in the world are not. Right? That's just yeah. about other
1: stuff. Exactly.
0: Um, Okay. So there's just so much to talk about with you. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit. At some point you um, got the courage to ask the managing editor for a chance to write. Yes. This was a glamour? This
1: was a glamour. I had been there probably three or four years and um, my bosses had both left. And so a new boss was coming in. So I took this time of transition as an opportunity to move into writing because back then, beauty departments didn't write. They took notes and then a copywriter, there was a whole stable of copywriters, would take our little outlines and turn them into fancy stories. And I wanted to write fancy stories. And so I made an appointment with the managing editor and told her what I wanted to do. And she said, Jane, I don't think you see the forest through the trees. And that is a sentence I will take with me to my grave.
0: And what did it mean to you?
1: You're not good enough. You do not have talent. I see no reason to give you a chance to do this. Go back and unpack shampoos. So, yeah, I took it really personally. And I'm sure there was a little gumption in me that thought, well, show her. But it was, that was definitely overshadowed by, she's right, she's right, I have no talent. What am I, What was I thinking? And, you know, I, I didn't bring any story ideas to her. I didn't bring a spec story for her to read. I just, you know, thought she'd give me a chance. And, and, I, and a, a possibly a more confident young woman would have said, well, let me write something for you and then tell me what you think. And instead I was like, okay, sorry to bother you. Okay, thanks, thanks. And probably one cried and had a cigarette around the corner,
0: <laughs> so how did that impact you moving forward? When did you start writing?
1: Uh, sort of quite a while. I moved to Mademoiselle, where the same setup existed where the beauty department did not write and I suppose what this managing editor said to me um." translated to me putting my writing ambitions on the back burner, I suppose. And so I didn't write at Mademoiselle, uh, and then when Jane Magazine was created in 1996 or 97, Jane Pratt hired me as beauty director, and one of her initial mandates was um, write in your own voice, everyone. Everyone write in first person. We want I want the readers to get to know who all of you are. And that was such I, a
0: like, an out of the box. I episode. know, right? Yeah.
1: And now it's ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Jane. And I, I thank her 100%. And that just got my writing muscle going and, you know, let the beast out. So, yeah, I think, I think, and, you know, and I take that with me today, like, just
0: encourage people.
1: If they can't write, then, you know, they'll figure it out.
0: So um, I want to just dive a little bit into this idea that um, you're taking the statement to the grave, as you said, I believe, (laughs) Um, As we had this conversation when we first got connected, um, and I made the suggestion that um, this woman, who my guess is she's very overworked and underappreciated or overworked and maybe we really didn't deserve any appreciation depending upon her demeanor. It's possible that she was just being a jerk and an asshole mm-hmm. um, and that it had nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, do you think you could start to believe that? If you tell me that one more time,
1: which would make it three times, maybe I would. Yeah, I think, I think I am at the age where I need to turn the pity party off and realize yeah, she probably did have a bad day, and it all kind of worked out okay
0: anyway. Right. And not everyone's nice. Like, you know, you mentioned that you think people should be nice in the workplace, yeah, but yeah. like a lot of people are real giant assholes. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, be, and I think that's a reflection on them and not the person they're being an asshole towards mm. most mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come with a lot of baggage, right? Everyone's yeah. human, and some people have a harder time dealing with, you know, the frustrations of family and life and work. So my guess is she just felt miserable and she wanted to be make you feel miserable.
1: I will add to that, she probably didn't need this new uh, request. Like just, uh, no, I have enough writers, go back to write, you know, counting the lipsticks. And back then I don't think Glamour's beauty department was highly respected. Mm-hmm. I had heard that Ruth Whitney referred to my boss as the keeper of the lipsticks. And, you know, I get it. I get it. We're not writing about women's issues. Mm -hmm. You know, we were writing, especially back then, it was, you know, how to look gorgeous, how to look younger, stay younger. You know, it was very, it was not enlightened back then. So. How nice that the tides have turned on that. Oh, wonderful. Very liberating.
0: So, um, okay, let's fast forward a bit. Um, you then had your own voice at W, right? You were able to be your voice at W, which is actually sounds strange when I say it out loud, right? That W would let you have your own voice. How did that happen?
1: Um, It probably had to do with advertisers, you know, and it was probably, (sighs) I don't know who came up with the idea, so I'll credit Stefano Tonke who's still the editor-in-chief, but they, he brought me into his office one day and we said, we want you to write your own page, call it Jane's Addiction. And this was pre-Instagram, but it was, you know, take pictures of yourself getting this facial, take pictures of yourself, you know, meeting this person, blah, blah, blah. And um, it did really well. And it was a really interesting place to be within a big fat magazine full of You know total fantasy high luxury fashion to then turn to a page where it was like does this happen to you when you try to apply eyeliner you know whatever and um and it worked and you know i just kind of sat there and um, amid all the glamour and explained why i thought this beauty product was really cool
0: and did you have responsibilities beyond that column Oh, yeah.
1: Um, Not a lot, though. The beauty pages in W were not um, plentiful. (laughs) This is a good job. Yeah. It was a great gig. (laughs) Lest you think that all I had to do was write one page a month. All right. Maybe that was true an issue or two. But as soon as the web came in, then I was productive, productive, just like.
0: Right. I mean, churning out, like now people churning have to out, out yeah. multiple articles a day right, yeah. to stay competitive and relevant. Right. Well, um, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, you know, the, the people who are just starting out at a digital publication have all these totally you know, like quotas and numbers to hit and totally. blah, blah, blah,
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, makes me sort of want to vomit. But it's really cool before the digital age where you could just focus yep. and meet people and learn things. True. But you know what?
1: In that defense, it was also very frustrating to be able to um, write about everything that I wanted to write about in right. this tiny amount of real estate that I had. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it would be a little, I don't think bait and switch is the right term. Maybe it is like, all right, you got four pages for June. A week later, oh, we're down to two. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're up to three. Uh, one. And there were a couple where I'd have zero. So we would do the work, but then, you know, it was more of a fashion magazine than it was a beauty magazine.
0: So what is the mindset um, when you're trying to relate to the reader when she's in this aspirational fantasy world of fashion and lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and then you're switching gears to talk about, like, real stuff? Um, Are you – is the magazine doing that because they know that she's a real woman? Like, are they acknowledging through your work that she's actually the regular woman who lives in Kansas City and takes her kids to school? Like,
1: no, I think I think it's more that beauty is, you know, so personal and so connected to emotion. And sure, you know, a Vuitton purse is connected to emotion too. But how your skin looks and how your hair is behaving, um, that you know, hits you to the core. So. With beauty, it, it 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 I think it was a natural um, connection to make it t- so personal. And the other thing that that I was responsible for, it wasn't just I love these products. It was holy shit! Have you heard about this dermatological procedure? It involves needles and threads and a trampoline. I'm just making that up. But you know this crazy thing we heard about. We wouldn't say be the first on your block to try it, but we would want our reader to be the first on the block to know about it Mm -hmm. with its caveats, talk to your doctor about it. So that was really fun too. So, you know, it it was, but it was all about emotion, whatever we were talking about.
0: So in Leaving W, is that the first time you left a job that you didn't want to leave?
1: Yeah. What did that feel like? It was the first time I ever got laid off. Uh, It was, it was shocking. I remember the first day. I remember being told. I remember walking out. I remember calling my sister. But I also remember just thinking, it is a tough time for magazines. And the phone started ringing pretty darn quickly. So, like I said before, um, the interpersonal communication of being in an office ended up up being the hardest thing for Mm -hmm. me. But honestly... They would have dragged me out on a stretcher at whatever age, 99, whatever, <laughs> if if it hadn't happened. So I thank them.
0: So um, in your time as a person who has, I guess, more control over their time because yeah. you don't have that regimented schedule, um, do you write when you're not being paid to write? Oh, like projects that don't pay me? Mm-hmm.
1: Like that book I was telling sure. you about? Um, not very well. I, you know, don't you love when you hear interviews of, you know, writers saying, I get up at five in the morning and I write until my kids wake up. I get up at six in the morning and I write for the people who are paying me. Um, I just finished reading uh, Sally Rooney's book, Conversations with Friends. Have you heard about that? So I met with a book agent about three months ago who said read Conversations with Friends, and get me 50 pages. So I did one of those two things. Um, Writing is just hard and everyone is coming out with a book. And I just don't know if um, it's worth the investment at this point. I have too much fun writing everything else I'm writing. And as my sister pointed out, she's like, well, if you put the Instagram down for a day, then you know maybe you could write that article for the New Yorker that you've been talking about, and I'm like, you're right. Oh, hold on, I just thought of a really funny caption.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> See, you don't even know the caption, you're laughing.
0: Because <laughs> I understand this how seductive it is. It's ridiculous. It's such a waste of time. Um, but you, I mean, don't you feel like you have an audience? Why right? don't you yes. feel like you're doing stand-up, right? I. Well said. You have an audience, yeah. and when they get to it, whether it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., yeah. you know that they're giggling. Yeah. Um, there's a, it's, a, it's really seductive.
1: It's really seductive.
0: So um, when, the, when you feel that, sed- that feeling, that pull for the book, it will happen. You can make it happen. Maybe you're just not ready yet.
1: I have little notes, and then I have experiences that make me think, oh, that would be a, that, that would be a good premise. That would be a good plot line. They're usually about people I know, so you have to be careful, right? but yeah, I mean I I'm in this interesting space that I guess I'm a micro influencer, which is a really broad number between like ten and a hundred thousand. So apparently, my engagement rate is high as a micro, but I'm certainly not known enough to be like, Jane Larkworthy really tells it all like. Who the fuck is
0: Jay uh, really? But I think that I would consider you what we call like an in-betweener. So like in between a micro and a, okay. a macro because, you know, you're um, when you say something, it, it, it has a lot of value. Yep. Um, so it, for that, a publicist, publicist can take your story and make it spin into something much bigger.
1: But are you going to know who the hell I am if you see my book at Barnes & Noble? Well, the, no.
0: the PR team will make sure that we do. Right. Um, because. Well, this book agent said no, not yet. Um, uh, I, think, I think it can be done. I mean, I know who other people are, and I didn't know them before they had books. You right. Know? Oh, that's um, a good point. So um, when you're ready, it will happen. Okay. Um, and Instagram will be there, too. Right, right. It will, it will be part of your journey.
1: It is very interesting to watch peers come out with books mm-hmm. and the way that they are publicizing it and hustling them and, and you know, I, it, sound, it looks like fun. So to me, it looks like fun. It doesn't look like, oh, God, poor her or oh poor him. So, yeah, when I'm ready.
0: Right. Think about how things are pitched to you in your day job, right? Yeah. So, right. Um, so-and-so worked once somewhere and it's part of the cell. Right, right. Because, it, well, it's part of their backpack of experiences. It's right. meaningful in some way and it's relevant now. Right. Um, so I think that could be done for you in a very big way when you're ready okay thanks mom (laughs) okay my last question for you before we close out is um what do you think is today's beauty aspiration right like what
1: what are people aspiring for in the
0: beauty world yeah or like what is um what do you think because you're a brand consultant now how would you talk to a brand about what aspiration means in beauty i i think it's
1: it sounds so corny but i really think it's about looking your best self But I also think it's about experimentation. The great thing is beauty, especially makeup, is that it's completely transitory. So I love seeing women, men, uh, trans of all ages, trying looks, posting them. And then you wipe it off if you don't like it. And the haters are always going to hate. And there's the rage culture on Instagram. Don't even get me started. But it's about... It's about really embracing what you love about yourself. And and it's never been more celebrated, which is wonderful to see. Although I say that and I'm like, oh, I can't do a selfie, not with these wrinkles. You know, I got to put a filter on, put a big fat filter on. Like, that's my joke. But,
0: but are you actually putting filters on?
1: Hell yeah. So, like, the cut, perfect example, like, we have this thing called... Um, I think it's We Tried This. Sorry, guys. I'm new. I'm still new. But it's like a road test of products. And so um, Kathleen Ho, the beauty director, will be like, who wants to try the Gucci lipsticks? Who wants to try that? And so I was in the Gucci lipsticks, and she's like, can you include a selfie? And I'm like, oh, God, my lip lines, my crow's feet. You know, it took like 500 <laughs> attempts to get the picture right. All right, it wasn't that many. It was five. But... Yeah, you know, I'm, like, celebrating age, but it's 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 a daily struggle.
0: What's the hardest part of that?
1: Looking, I feel like I look so angry, which is why I do the goofy face all the time.
0: huh. So you feel like when you photograph yourself, you look like an angry version of yourself and not a joyful version?
1: When I look in, like, my phone's selfie mirror to do something, I'd be like, oh, 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 warn a girl first, you know? Yeah, I just look sort of angry, so then I'll, like... Put my little phone on the on a shelf. Turn turn the timer on. Make a goofy face, and then it's okay.
0: And when you are taking the picture yourself, and you think that you look angry, are you smiling?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. In other words, like resting Jane face looks a little angry
0: to me. But do you ever try putting a smile on that face?
1: Oh, of course, of course. I'm just saying, like, if I'm holding my phone and and it, and I'm I've got the camera and it flips by surprise, and I look at myself without smiling. Uh, oh, that's that's all I'm saying. That's why I'm saying, give a girl <laughs> warning, Jane. Like. Whoa. Yeah. But it doesn't ruin my day the way not seeing the farts through the trees ruin my day. Yeah. It's just kind of like, okay.
0: Get on. I um Being, uh, hosting this podcast is quite fun because I get to see, we do photos afterwards, which you'll see when we use for promotion. And it's really, um, Uh-oh. <laughs> a really interesting experience for me to watch who cares, like who really right. cares about what this iPhone picture looks like and who doesn't. And, um, you know, this is a judgment-free zone. I just get to be a fly on the wall in this. And um, to me, it's so interesting. Like, it's like bet. I mean, (laughs) I don't write this down. Right. But it would be like, you know, great fuel for storytelling because um, it comes out of like when you would would least expect it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say
1: is like concern about how they look a euphemism for like, let's do this filter. (laughs) Let's put the ears on. Let's put the, let's put the cat nose on.
0: (laughs) Well, we don't use any cat eyes, but we do have props. So you'll get to play with props in a moment. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jane. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where brains meet beauty podcast. Thanks for listening to where brains meet beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.